good to see you this morning. It's uh, been a while. Not a lot. I mean, two weeks, but I was not here the whole month, basically, of November. So the longest uh, stretch uh, that I've not spoken much in a long time. And actually, it was helpful. Sometimes you need a time. It, I, was, I just told the first service, and I, I, I kind of meant it facetiously. Uh, before I left to go to Israel a few weeks ago, and then we left to go to visit our family, I was kind of like, man, I got to go preach today. My wife said, yeah, you're the pastor. You got to go preach today. <laughs> so uh, I'm ready to do it now, though. So I'm, I'm good. So the, the, um, some of the folks in the band asked me this morning if I'd had too much coffee because I was kind of energized. And I said, no, no, just ready to do it. Let's do it. So anyway, um, we start a whole new series today. And the series is for the month of December, basically uh, the next three weeks plus uh, Christmas Eve. It's called Yes, and there's a subtitle to the series. It's called Yes is the Answer. Now, what's the question? Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, some things that are hugely important around the Christmas season, but also just in our life in general. Today, I want to talk about uh, the, the sermon title is uh, Saying Yes to Hope. Um, and the reason I want to talk about that today is because during the Christmas season, what we always do is we tend to focus on a whole bunch of stuff, and some of the stuff is important, some of it's not important. But the things that are really important during the Christmas season is we're going to talk about today is the whole deal of, of what is the value of what we do with our lives. Um, so often during Christmas, we have two different types of things that come out of the way we celebrate Christmas. One is we can become, uh, for some people, it becomes a season of taking. You know, what am I getting for Christmas? You know, little kids, they, they all ask that question. What am I getting for Christmas? Maybe as you get older, you don't say it quite as boldly. But you're still thinking about what you're getting because we're your takers some ways. And we think that getting stuff will make us happy. And we tend to know that's not true. It'll make us happy for a few minutes, maybe a few hours, maybe a few weeks. But that's about it. But the other issue is, is are we givers as well? And, and, one of, and recently when I got, went to Israel, before I left, one of, my, one of the leadership team folks uh, actually sent me an email and said, hey, we'll be praying for you, but I want to challenge you to think about some questions. And one of the questions that he asked me about was the, uh, this question is, uh, what would you like your legacy to be? And, and I guess he knew that because I'm getting older, you know, we think about legacy. And uh, that was, but it was a good question. It's a good question. What are your legacy to be? And, and in a real sense, uh, the question would be this. I mean, <laughs> this sounds morbid, but I'll just say it anyway. Uh, when they get ready to do your funeral service, what are they going to say about you, you know? I've done, and so let me, let me just tell you what I've come to the conclusion, and I heard this, this statement I'm about to make, um, uh, actually from one of my favorite teachers, one of the favorite pastors, Andy, Andy Stan, Stanley, in a leadership podcast, he said this, the value of a life is always measured in terms of how much of it was given away. The value of a life is always measured in terms of how much of it was given away. And I know that's true because I have done over my ministry, 35, 36 years of ministry, I've done over 300 funerals. And I've been to a lot more funerals as well. And one of the things that every time I attend a funeral, a good funeral, a celebratory funeral, they are good funerals, okay, by the way, celebratory funerals, uh, a person who's been a follower of Christ, where there's, there's, there's always something to celebrate. And I'm reminded of this because at funerals we never celebrate accumulation. I've never done a funeral or, or been to a funeral where people simply, you know, put up pictures. You know, sometimes they'll put up pictures and slideshows at funerals and stuff now of the person's life and things like which is good. 
but I've never been to one where they put up pictures of their cars, their houses, or their bank, bank account numbers. They don't do that. It's not about those things because life, in a sense, uh, what we want to be remembered for, and not only that, what we be remembered for, what we want to do with our lives is, is we want to, at the end of our life, as we celebrate life, or even as we live life, you celebrate how much of that life was given away. And so at a funeral, we always celebrate generosity and selflessness. And, and I began to ask myself this question, what is the value of my life going to be? And the value of my life will ultimately be measured in terms of how much of it I leverage for the sake of other people. How much over the next few years, uh, as a transition toward uh, the, the big R word, which I kind of like really don't believe in, retirement as we see it in our culture, I believe in transition. Uh, as I do that, what will I be doing? And, and I really believe that my value in, the, in this world will be how much I invest in, in the next generation and the generation beyond that. How much will I ultimately be um, measured? It's not how, much, how big the church gets or anything like that. How much do I invest in people who will become the next generation of leaders in the life of a church? And so, doing, looking at that, I realized that generosity is not just about money. Even though there's a, a money aspect of it, generosity is about how much I'm willing to not focus on myself to give to others. And so today, what we're going to look at as we start this Christmas series, Say Yes to Hope, is the story of a guy who had a problem with accumulation. And the accumulation had taken over his whole life, but God changes him in this little 10-verse story we're going to look at today. And this 10-verse story is so simple that we, if you grew up in church, you know all about it. If you didn't, you may not know anything about it, but I'll just give you a little rhyme in a minute that'll tell you everything you need to know about it. Uh, It's about a guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up in church, you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and when he looked up on the tree, uh, as the Lord passed by the tree, he looked up on the tree, and what did he do? He said, Zacchaeus, get your bottom down here. No, that's not what he said. It's kind of like he said that, because I'm going to your house today. It's a little story. You're going like, where did you, if you didn't grow up in church, you're going like, where did he get that from? It's a kid's song. And some of you, as I said it, were starting to sing it in your head. You know, and I'm going like, sorry about that. You know, anyway, I didn't sing it today. I thought about rapping it, but I don't know how to rap. So anyway, I didn't do that. So we're going to look at a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is an interesting character. It's not really one of your Christmas characters, but it teaches us so, so much about what Christmas and generosity and how God changes us is all about. So let's look at it. And if you have your Bibles in whatever format, if you actually open it up or if you thumb it with your thumbs, you know, through your app or whatever you do, uh, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses, that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm just going to write through it, talk about it, teach some lessons out of it that came out of there, and then kind of wrap things up today. Um, it says this in verse, Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Stop. You're going like, Bill, you're going to stop at every verse and talk about it? Yeah, I am going to stop at every verse and talk about it because even this verse is important. And I began to realize how much important it was. I'd always known this, but when I went to Israel, one of the places, one of the first places we went to was Jericho. We got to go to Jericho. And the reality, here, here's a picture of the ruins at Jericho. Look at this. This is, this is actually a picture I think my wife took. I took no pictures because I'm terrible with photography. And, and uh, this is the picture she took. This is actually the ruins of, of, of part of the wall of Jericho. You remember the story in the Old Testament about Jericho? You know, the, if you don't know it, it's about, you know, this, it's 
way back in the Old Testament. and It was one of the first places the people of Israel, uh, God gave to them, and the walls came tumbling down, all the kind of stuff like that. And Here's the walls. And, and it, the thing I learned, and I knew about Jericho, but I was reminded about Jericho, was this. Jericho was considered in Scripture a cursed city. It was considered a cursed city. In Joshua 6.26, right after the walls had come tumbling down, Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, said this. It says, at the time... Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Wow, man. I mean, Jer uh, Joshua says this, this is a cursed city. This is a place like, if you try to rebuild this place, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lose two of your kids. And obviously, some people didn't take it too seriously, but they took it seriously for a while. But about 530 years later, in 850 B.C., during the reign of a guy named King Ahab, there was this uh, guy named Hiel of Bethel who rebuilt Jericho. And it tells us in 1 Kings 16.34 that he rebuilt Jericho. And guess what happened to him? It says, just as God had said, when he laid the foundation, he lost his firstborn son. And when he set up the gates, he lost his youngest son. He didn't believe there was a cursed city, but it was proved wrong. There was a curse upon us. It's one of the place. Jericho was kind of known as a cursed place, and it wasn't a place you go and pass through and visit. And so when I read this first verse here, even though it didn't really say, you know, uh, the first verse said, you know, the whole thing about it, Jesus came and he went through Jericho and was passing through. It's not a place you normally would go through, and it was considered a cursed city. Nobody visited there very much. But it reminds me of this as we look at this story. Jesus visited the cursed place. And when he came to the cursed place, what did it do? It brought hope. It brought hope. Now, some of us today are going through stuff in our lives. You may have stuff going on in your life. It may be relational. It may be financial. It may be job-related. It may be any, anything. And sometimes I've heard people tell me, I just, my life is cursed. I mean, and no matter what I do, it's, it's, all these things happen in my life. And you may feel that way. But I want to let you know this. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and why Jesus came at Christmas is not just to be a baby in a manger, but to come into our lives in the cursed places of our lives and give us hope. So we're going to look at that today for a few minutes. Verse 2, it said Jesus came to this place. Then it says in verse 2, it says that a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Basically, he was a guy that had a steady job and made lots of money. Now, isn't that the purpose of life? If you have a steady job and make lots of money, shouldn't you be a happy person? That's kind of the American way, right? Y'all look kind of stunned, like you don't know this. No, that's, the way, that's what most of us strive for. Have a steady job, make lots of money. Because if we do, everything will be fine. But that wasn't true with this guy. The problem with this guy is that in that culture, uh, tax collectors, there were classes of people. People were not really literally classes of people, but people looked down on certain, different, uh, certain people. You know, for instance, it, it says in the Bible there were sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> How do you like that as categories? Sinners were pretty much everybody because all of us are sinners. And it's we all, but, but they were talking about the ones who did all the really bad sins. And then below that level was a guy named, was people that were tax collectors. But you notice something about Zacchaeus' position. He was not just a tax collector. What was he? He was a chief tax collector. 
He was one stage lower than tax collectors because the reality was is that in that culture what happened was these tax collectors and chief tax collectors were usually Jewish people who betrayed their people and collected taxes for the Roman government. And in doing so, what they would do is that they would actually have to, you know, they would take, uh, collect taxes. And the chief tax collector had kind of a pyramid scheme going. Because he would not only collect taxes, but he would collect taxes from all the people, or he would get a cut of all the stuff that the people above, or below him, who were ta regular tax collectors, would do. And so guess how popular he was? Zero. He was a zero on the popularity scale. And so the reality was, even though he was a chief tax collector, and it says, and he was wealthy, don't you hate wealthy people? I mean, they got everything. They live indoors, got two pairs of shoes at least. Oh, that's talking about us, isn't it? Uh, you know, the deal is, is that the reality is that so often we think that people that are wealthy have no needs because they have money. But that's not true in this case, it shows us. And so often when we see people like this, you know, there's people in our lives that we just kind of like, don't like. There's not people in your life like that already. Did you visit any of them during Thanksgiving? <laughs> if you didn't visit them during Thanksgiving, you probably have to visit them now at Christmas, right? There's, is that weird uncle or somebody in your family that you just go like, oh, every time you think about visiting them? Or some neighbor that invites you to a Christmas party or somebody at work or somebody like that. And you're just going like, man, I, just, I can't put up with that person. They just give me the heebie-jeebies, whatever that is. You know, and, and there's, we all have people in our life that kind of like, that was Zacchaeus to everybody. Nobody liked him because of his position. So he was pretty much a loner, a lonely guy. And he was also the kind of guy that so often these people that are like that, people that are like just, just I could, they could be, have all kind of issues and hang-ups in their life. The thing is, so often we think that those people are so far from God that God couldn't do, couldn't do anything in their lives. So we kind of give up on them. But that's not what he, God did for Zacchaeus, because in verse 3 we learn this. He says he wanted, Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Who, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, he's the guy that has all the money, a steady job, you know, everything you can want. But he obviously had a need in his life. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and he said he had a problem, though. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he's, you know, he's down behind everybody. I have never had that issue, okay? I've always been one of the top 6'3". People sometimes, if they don't see me on stage, they're going like, you know, even though in here, you know, you can't tell exactly how tall I am. And you get up next to me, you're like, you're pretty tall. Yeah, I'm not giant, but I'm pretty tall. But this guy, you know, Zacchaeus was short, he said, he could not see over the crowd. He had a problem. You know, I've noticed that about being tall is an advantage when you get in the crowd. Because usually when I'm walking around malls and stuff like that, trying to find my wife or whoever it is I'm trying to find, because I'm not going to buy anything. And, and what, I, what it is, is I can see over everybody just about. It's amazing. It's really cool to be tall. That's one advantage. The disadvantage is that people hang lights at the wrong places, and I'm always killing myself walking through people's homes. I've broken more light fixtures in people's homes that are hanging too low than you can imagine. So there's disadvantages as well. But Zacchaeus didn't have that problem. He had a problem being short. So he couldn't see over the crowd. See, it seemed like this. It seemed that he had, to have, he had everything the world strives for, but he still wanted to see Jesus. That person that you a while ago when I mentioned and I said, you know, who's the person in your life that you that kind of like, eh. That person who seems hopeless, too far gone, that person needs Jesus too. 
And somewhere along the way, I really believe that person, that person will seek after Jesus. Don't give up on people who seem far away from God. Because if we, if we did, there would be no hope for us as well. Because at one time, we may have been far away from God as well. Now, one, one, of, the, one of the things we're going to do, I'm going to give you three challenges today, three things to do. Because I, don't, I really don't believe, I think it would be useless today to come to church and hear a message and don't do anything about it. Because this is God's word. So the first thing I would like you to do is to understand this. During the Christmas season, this is the second easiest time of the year to invite people to church. Easter's the easiest Sunday. Everybody likes to dress up in their Easter outfits and come to church. If they don't come the rest of the year, they come Easter. But also now we have what we call Easter and Christmas people. We call them Creasters. Okay? You didn't know there was a name for that, did you? Creasters. Okay? And so it's a great time to invite those people who normally would not come to church probably. And so one of the things we want you to do is we believe that during this Christmas season, one of the, the best gift you can give to people is get them into a place where they can, have a, they can explore what it means to have a relationship with Christ. So all you got to do is invite them. So we've made little boxes out in the lobby, little tiny boxes, and in there, this is what you do with them. You think about the person I just talked to you about, and I'll talk more about them in a minute. And you take that little box, it's got some things in there you can put in the box. You make something, put it in the box, like something good to eat or something like that. It's got a card that says when our services are. And it's got, it got a little bow you put on top. And you give it to the person and say, hey, Merry Christmas. Here's you something good. And they'll look at you like, why are you doing that? And you'll go like, well, I do have an ulterior motive. You know, no, you don't say that. And, and you say, well, by the way, too, we have Christmas services at our church. I'd love for you to come with me you're going to like really yeah really and let me explain something to you the best week to invite somebody who's far from christ to come to great oaks is sunday december 20th because on that sunday the message is going to be very simply called have you said yes to jesus it's going to be a, a very basic message about why it's so important for us to say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, I say that to us. Challenge number one, pick up a box in the lobby, fill it up with stuff, give it to somebody, invite them to church. Okay, verse four. Okay, he's short, has a problem, so what does he do? Verse four, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, it's interesting to, say, to understand the culture, and you wouldn't get this from just reading the scripture, but in that culture, in that day, it was not cool to be a guy and to run. You had to kind of stroll, you know, you had to be cool. And so they strolled. For a guy to run to anything, was, that's what kids did. So here's this guy, chief tax collector, got a great job, makes lots of money, nobody likes him, and what does he do? He is so excited about seeing Jesus that he runs ahead and it, because he wants to get ahead of the crowd and he climbs the sycamore fig tree. See, this guy everybody thought was worthless, wanted to meet Jesus so bad, he broke cultural norms and, and went after it. See, so often we think that people that are far from God in our life that we know, relatives, friends, co-workers, people we go to school with, whatever it may be, are people that really have no desire for God, but you never know. Studies have shown and people have said over the years that most people, if you invite them to church, would come. Did you know that? You're going like, really? Yeah. Because that's not too threatening, especially Christmas and Easter. 
because it's kind of culturally a norm to do it anyway. And the thing is, is that really the reality is that God has made all of us, even those who have not accepted him yet, in such a way that we have this desire for God. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. We desire to know him. And so everybody, uh, Zacchaeus had that issue in his life, and, uh, and he, he wanted to run ahead and climb this tree. Now, why in the world would it name the type of tree it is? A sycamore fig tree. Well, this, here's a picture of a sycamore fig tree uh, that we have. This is actually, guess what this tree is called? This is called the Zacchaeus tree. We took this picture uh, in Israel, and this is in Jericho. And actually they said, now, of course, this could not be the tree that, that Zacchaeus climbed because it would not be alive today, okay? But the issue is, this could be its great, 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 great grandfather, or, great, or, or the, or the tree he climbed the other way around, grandson, because this is the only area in Jericho where there is these type of trees that went along the route where he would be going, where Jesus would have been going. They know from history, and this could be the, the, you know, the acorns or whatever falls off a sycamore fig tree, I don't know, the figs, or whatever that falls off of there. The thing is, this could have, so it's, it's one just like it. It's just kind of a short, squatty tree with lots of limbs. It's easy to climb, so, so, so forth to do that. So this is the sycamore fig tree that's there. Now, he, the reason he says this is because the word sycamore in, in Hebrew has, has a meaning. The word, it comes from a root word, sikma, and guess what it means? It means restoration. It means restoration. So in a sense, a sycamore fig tree could be called a restoration tree. So this guy, Zacchaeus, who had this no relationship with God but wanted to have a relationship with God, runs ahead, he climbs the restoration tree. Okay? He gets there. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, I'm going, the spot? What are they talking about? Why do they even say that? Why do they say it that way? Because this was a special place. You probably have some spots, places in your life that are special to you. Right? I mean, guys, do you remember, if you're married, do you remember the time, the spot, where you got down on one knee, and you held out a box, and you opened it up, and you promised this girl in front of you, if you'll accept this, I promise that I'll make all the payments on it. (laughs) You remember that? That's a spot, because it was special. You know? There's all kind of spots in our life, spots where this happened, spots where that happened. It's become meaningful to us in our life. And and so it says, when Jesus reached the spot, and then it says, he looked up and he said to him, Jesus looks up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. The spot for Zacchaeus that's mentioned here was the spot where Jesus spoke to the man who wanted to be restored to God, and he spoke his name. And it was interesting, too, that Zacchaeus' name, what it means. Zacchaeus comes from a Hebrew word, uh, Zacchaeus, and that word means not guilty. Not guilty. That's his name. That's, he hadn't been living up to his name. But now, God's, Jesus speaks his name. Up, Zacchaeus up in the restoration tree, and he says, Come down. I'm going to your house. I'm, I must stay at your house today. 
And we find this later in the verse, in verse 10, it says that the purpose of the mission of Jesus was to seek and save that which was lost. And the thing is, he says, I must do this because this is what I'm here for. This is my purpose, Jesus says. See, I think the thing that I thought about when I read this was this. There was a spot where Jesus did exactly for me what he did for Zacchaeus. There was a spot, it was a time when I was 14 years old, and I was at a Christian concert. There was a bunch of college students from a school in North Carolina that were at a church near me, and they, and they sang and they shared their testimonies. And I remember going forward at the end of that service and, and, and praying the prayer that we prayed called the sinner's prayer, and I prayed that prayer, and that was the spot for me where Jesus spoke my name and restored my life. And if you've ha- you probably, if you have done that as well, I've already done that, you have a spot where that happened. A place where it happened, where something special happened and, and, and God spoke to you in some way, spoke your name, restored you to God. And if you've not already done that, I, I will say this for you. He can do that for you as well. My prayer is that at Great Oaks would be a spot during this Christmas season, if you'll take those boxes and invite some of your friends that are unchurched, people that are far away from God, this might be the spot where they encounter Jesus Christ. Where they can look back and say, hey, that was the place, this was the day when God restored me to what he wanted me to be. What was Zacchaeus' response? Verse 6. It says, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm thinking about Zacchaeus' life. And I'm thinking this may have been the first time in a long time Zacchaeus had been glad. That's probably not a big conjecture. Because he had no friends. Everybody hated him. Looked down on him. Culturally, he was an outcast. And he was glad because he realized that nothing in this world can satisfy. Let me just give you a little side note here uh, before I go on. You know, I really believe this, that Christmas time should be a time when it proves to us that nothing in the world satisfies us. The reason for that is because because the way we celebrate Christmas so often. Some of you, and I'll just say this honestly, some of you have lost your mind in regard to how you celebrate Christmas. Some of you started decorating for Christmas back after the 4th of July. Or you could be like the young lady who was a waitress at Cracker Barrel that we stopped at uh, in, on our way back from Virginia last week. And we were and somewhere in Indiana, I don't remember exactly where it was. Yeah, we go big time, Cracker Barrel. Woo! Okay. Uh, it was right on the road. And I know what I was getting because it's always the same food no matter where you go. Okay? With Cracker Barrel, one of the waitresses behind us, and I heard her, and she was talking really loud. And I couldn't believe she said what she said. And she says, you know, I, I, still, got my, I still got my decorations up from last year. I didn't take them down because I'm white trash. And I'm going like, whoa. <laughs> and I go like, so that's what white trash means. You don't take your decorations down. So if you don't take your decorations down, that's what you are. No, uh, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Okay. But we go crazy. I mean, earlier and earlier we celebrate Christmas, do we not? Let me tell you what the proper time is to take put to decorate for Christmas. I believe, and this is the right time because I said it. I believe 
The Christmas season officially starts after I have eaten turkey on Thanksgiving and have watched the Detroit Lions lose. Yeah. And even better if the Cowboys lose. Ooh. Because <laughs> I'm a Washington Redskins fan. Okay. Now, see, Christmas... Okay, I just lost half of you. Anyway, no, no, I don't think there's that many cowboy fans here. Okay, um, Christmas time should be a time when it proves to us that nothing in the world satisfies us. And why? Because we get ready for it, and we get ready for it, and we get ready for it, and we spend all this time decorating and buying presents and going all crazy stuff and doing everything. We spend more time celebrating Christmas than any other holiday in the world, right? We do as a culture. And then Christmas happens. And then what happens to everybody on December 26th? There's this collective groan all across America. Because all the stuff we got on December 25th, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. We don't like it. And then we have to go stand in lines at Walmart to return stuff. Or wherever else you buy stuff, you know. See, it proves to us that we think it's such a big deal. And what is we do? We're let down. It's a letdown. Most of the time. Because that's not what Christmas is all about. The greatest gift that we can give anyone at Christmas is an invitation to an encounter with Christ. Because that's what Christmas is about. And then, then, and then for some strange reason, Jesus says this, next verse, and it seems like, <laughs> he, he just states a fact, I guess. It seems like there are people everywhere who get mad at whatever you do. Uh, verse 7, all the people saw this. They heard about him going to Zacchaeus' house, and they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ooh, that's scary. That means he went to our houses. Because we're all sinners, right? But they, this was a special class of sinner, remember? This was the chief tax collector. You know the interesting thing about Jesus, and we, we need to get, get on board with this? Jesus wasn't afraid of guilt by association. So often we push people back so much that we don't have an opportunity to build a relationship with them to help lead them to Christ. And, and, you know, a while ago when I said, you know, you need to think about inviting people, and sometimes you started thinking of them, and you're going like, oh, that person couldn't possibly come to church because they're an alcoholic. Or they're not living right. Or they're living with somebody that they're not married to. Or they're gay. Or whatever. And we start classifying them as people that can and can't come to Jesus. And when we do that, we miss the message of the gospel. That God welcomes all to come, and when we come, we let him change us to what he wants us to be. That's the message. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, there's going to be people that are muttering all the time. Years ago, I used to think, well, you know, if I did everything right at church, then nobody would be upset. I just kind of, I don't care what you do. There'll be somebody that gets upset about something. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, what do you call him? Lord! 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Was Zacchaeus a change, dude? Man, what a change. A guy whose whole life was about greed and getting. Now he says, hey, my life is now about giving. The reality is, you know, there's lots of people who are up in a tree looking for Jesus. They come to church every week. They hear about Jesus. But they have never actually called him Lord, Savior. See, you can't follow Jesus and remain the same. And when, it, when, he, when Zacchaeus follows Jesus, he changed, Jesus changed exactly his worst part of his life. He became generous. And Jesus responds this way in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares him not guilty. Hey, your name is Zacchaeus, which means not guilty. Let's live up to it. That's what I made you to be. And he says, I want to restore you to your place and your culture. No longer you will be an outcast. And then Jesus sums up his mission in one verse. In one small sentence. He says, Jesus says, for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. So often at Christmas we focus on this baby in a manger, this cute, cute baby in a manger, and we forget that he grew up to be a man who died upon a cross for us. And the reality is, without him growing up and dying on a cross for us, we would have no hope whatsoever. But because he did come into this world, he did look up on the tree at Zacchaeus and say, come down. He did speak to us somewhere along the way and say, come to me. And he's speaking to you. If, he's never, if, he's never, if you've never followed him, he's speaking to you as well. I know that. He says, call me Lord. Call me Lord. And if you'll do so and if you'll follow me, I will change your life and I'll give you hope. And your life will be full of meaning the way I intended for you to be. If you're here today and you're, looking, and you're in the tree looking out for Jesus but have never actually called him Lord, I invite you to end the service today. After we sing our closing song, I'm going to be hanging out down here. And you can come down and talk with me about what the next step you might need to take. Or if you have something you need to pray, with, pray about, I would encourage you to do that as well. Because we all need to encourage and lift up one another. And to all of us, I would make this challenge. I don't know about you, but... but I would love to prove to the world that there's still hope in the world. And I think one of the ways that we do that as followers of Christ, believers in Christ, is to do irrational, maybe unexpected acts of generosity. So I challenge you this week to do just something like that. Go somewhere, and it's somebody that you can look around. Hey, you've got to be aware of people. I've done this before. Gone to a place, a restaurant, and see somebody sitting by themselves that looks down and out, and just say, hey, tell the, tell the waitress, hey, I'd like to pay for their meal. Don't let them know that I did it. And usually tell the waitress, too, that I'll take care of your tip for both of us. That's always a good thing to do. Or you see somebody that's 
you know, that you know that's, that's struggling and you just simply find a way in some tangible way of being generous to them with, with your time or with your resources? Folks, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people do that and it makes a huge difference in people's lives. People that have given up hope and just an act of unexpected generosity, unexpected generosity points them in a new direction. Now, I hate to say this, but I will. If you do that this week, which I hope you do, I hope everybody here does something. Be creative, okay? But when you do that, don't take a selfie of yourself being generous (laughs) and put it on Facebook. Kind of defeats the purpose. Just do it, even if they don't know it. I mean, some situations, they'll know who did it. A lot of situations, if you do what I did in a restaurant, they'll never know who did it. That's all right. Christmas is a time, if no other time, to be the kind of people that bring hope into other people's lives. God has called us to change the world little bit by little bit, and he uses us to do just that. So let's pray. God, this morning we turn to you, we ask that you would just enable us more than anything right now to uh, be used by you this week, God. If we go to a restaurant, maybe we leave the biggest tip we've ever left. And maybe for that waiter, that server, that'll be something that will encourage them. Maybe open up a conversation with them. And if not, God, at least encourage them. Maybe we're sitting at a restaurant and we look across the room and there's some elderly lady by herself and she seems kind of, you know, down and out. During this time of year, God, you know, it's really tough for people that are alone. So we pray, God, that you would just help us to find ways to be generous with them. Maybe, God, it's going somewhere and, 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 and saying to the guy, if we're in line at a, a fast food restaurant or something, simply say, hey, I want to pay for the people uh, behind me. God, we just need to find ways of, of encouraging people and being generous to them. And, and in doing so, God, we are your hands, your feet. And in, we begin in the process of, of changing. It changes our heart as well, God, when we do those things. God, I pray that this morning that there's someone here who's been kind of hanging out in the tree, kind of looking, at, uh, examining who Jesus is, maybe come to church, and they've never called you Lord. And Savior, that today would be the day and this would be the spot where that happens. Guide us now, God, and help us to understand that in a world that sometimes seems cursed, there is hope. And the hope is because of Jesus Christ, your Son. Guide us now, God, and help us to sing this next song, this closing song, as a commitment to you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.